one of the things we're talking about in my worship class this semester that we alluded to in the last episode is the church calendar. Let's start with why should people care about this and why is this a thing that the church does and has done? I remember in that class thinking that we spent too much time talking about the calendar. <laughs> if you have if you, if you have one worship class, there's so much to talk about. And we're, when we're talking about worship in this context, we're not just talking about the musical portion of services. Right. Um, the worship class at, at a seminary is going to be like how to organize and put on a worship service, not just the musical portion, but the every the whole service, mm. as well as the function of the church, which is meant to be worship to the Lord. So right. it's much more broad. I was definitely thinking when I took that class, this is a lot of church calendar. And that's <laughs> not something that in my mind is super important. Maybe uh, you could have a day or two at the most. Uh, but I really learned a lot from it. And I thought it was really interesting and helpful mm -hmm. as well. So mm -hmm. probably like any high church liturgy focused church will be aware of the church calendar. But I'm sure a lot of our listeners know nothing about this. I really didn't that much um, until I got to seminary. But as far as the uh, uses and reasons for this, um, the first thing is that the church calendar is a resource for instructing the faith. So it's a catechesis tool, catechetical. Um, the other thing is that it creates unity within the body of Christ uh, because the universal church is recognizing the same themes and emphasizing the same things at the same times of the year. And then too, it uh, just tells a story. And so it's a way of familiarizing people year to year with the story of Jesus and the story of the church. So everybody, even if you are from a tradition that doesn't observe the church calendar, there are some crossovers to our just secular calendar primarily Christmas and Easter, which are the main like focuses of the year for a lot of Christian churches. They're also main high points in the Christian calendar. And whatever experience you have, you can see the benefit of having times where the whole church is focusing on something significant together, um, where people learn so much about Jesus's birth and what it means because we celebrate it every year at Christmas. And the whole church celebrates it together, church global. Same thing with Easter. There's so much excitement and victory because we all celebrate the resurrection at the same time. Yeah. And so the experience that we already have with Christmas and Easter, I think, gives you some insight into how it can be mm -hmm. helpful. Mm -hmm. When I think about that line of it being a catechesical or an instructional tool, it just makes me wonder, is that... Was that the purpose all along of creating this church calendar primarily as a way to teach people in the church about theology? Or was it more that that's kind of a side benefit from just wanting to honor the saints or biblical figures or whatever it is that we focus on during the different seasons? I think it'd be a little bit of both. I think so yeah. too. I mean, some of it is oriented around the Old Testament feasts, which God instituted for Israel. And Jesus's resurrection was at Passover. So that's already associated with a time that God had instituted. And then uh, Pentecost as well is an Old Testament feast mm -hmm. that then was uh, like renewed with the Holy Spirit and brought into like, a Christian calendar as well. And then as far as just the whole process of teaching people, especially before 
um, people were able to read themselves. Like we talked with in a Christians episode way back, episode six. Um, there was a lot of value in the early church of people living the story of the Bible and coming up with creative ways to teach. And so part of these things fall into that as well, I think. Yeah, that's cool. Jumping into this, the first thing to be aware of that a lot of people may be familiar with is that the Hebrew understanding of time is not linear, but it's cyclical. Yeah, and that's interesting. Like when we come to a year, a circle makes sense to us, kind of. Mm-hmm. But even even a lot of times, um, uh, Westerners, if somebody says, like, we're going to draw out the year, a lot of times people would do a straight line. They start at January at one end and December at the other end. Mm-hmm. And then you would right. like plot out things along that line. But and I, I remember when I took this this worship class, when we were plotting out the year, the teacher did circles. Mm-hmm. And it was from January all the way around to December and back to January. And I just thought that was interesting, even like visual of how people would kind of draw out time. Right. So with that understanding, then the beginning and also the end of the church calendar then is Advent. That's one that we're more familiar with already. Yeah, because of the candles, you mean? Yeah, I guess mostly the candles. But just in general, uh, if you say that we're starting with Advent, I don't have to ask any questions about Uh what time of year that is. Right. It's yeah. going to be the, the four Sundays before Christmas, right? Yeah, the four the four Sundays, yeah. Do either of you know what it means, Advent? We do use it in the non-holiday meaning uh, to mean like the start of something or invention of something, establishment. Yeah, it doesn't mean coming? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Coming or arrival. So the the main thing, like we were kind of getting at, the main thing that I knew was from the candles, lighting of the candles yeah. up until Christmas. Which a lot um, of churches don't do, but it's becoming more and more common. In fact, I would say, which this may be jumping the gun a little bit, but I would say in general, participation in the church calendar has increased mm. in, at least, I mean, my experience is America. So at least in America in the past 20, 20 years, for sure, mm. where the more just cultural standard is to participate in more of the church calendar than used to be the case. So a lot of people wouldn't have grown up in churches that did Advent candles. Now a lot more churches are doing them. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, Advent means arrival. And so you said it's the beginning and the end because it is the celebration of both Christ's first coming and his second coming, right? Expectation. That's right. Yeah. So it's an experience of both hope and expectancy. Yeah. And a big thing with all of the church calendar that you'll um, pick up is that there's at the same time you have a remembering of the past, a recognition of the present, and then an anticipation of the future all at the same time. That's good. This is not exactly church calendar, but I immediately think of uh, communion when you mention that, because I think Mm. communion does that where we're called to remember what Jesus has done for us in communion, but it's also a present reality of God's grace for us and his forgiveness. Mm. And then uh, Paul in first Corinthians says, whenever you drink this cup, you're, you're proclaiming Christ's death until he comes. And so there's this expectation of uh, drinking a new, you know, in the, in the kingdom of God. Mm. So I like that. Mm past, present, future uh, connection. Yeah. So we said four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Somewhere along the lines, all of these major seasons in the church calendar got a color assigned to them. Um, So do either of you know the color for Advent? Purple. Correct. Yeah, it is. (laughs) 
And that symbolizes royalty. And so the thing you can think of the colors is like a simple way to do like decorations. Like we put decorations out for different seasons in order to remind people and prepare people. And so just doing a color, usually the color across the communion table or around the pastor would wear, you know, something that's that color uh, and then over the pulpit or something like that. Mm -hmm. Which I've also seen as a way that people implement this in their homes, too, is by doing something with changing of colors with their kids to symbolize the different seasons. So some common practices for this season is fasting, simplicity, generosity, prayer, and penitence. So there's an idea that before the feast and celebration of Christmas, of Jesus arriving, the incarnation, there's a season of fasting and simplicity, which I feel like we don't really do. So here's, well, we do generosity. That's true. Generosity is often leading up to Christmas. People do serving at some sort of food bank or Salvation Army or something like that where they're helping people. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Simplicity, we could definitely do better. But I do think a lot of people get rid of old things before Christmas. <laughs> Mostly that's in preparation. They're like, hey, we're going to be getting new stuff, so we got to make some room. Uh, <laughs> so maybe that's not the best like motivation. Yeah. But I do think the concept of uh, paring things down it goes with that. Yeah. I was looking at hearing somebody talk about some practical ways to do some of these things. And they were talking about potentially going through maybe like old toys and, and deciding to give away some or donate some, um, some ways you could practice some of this generosity and sim simplicity. I think it's an important distinction that simplicity isn't a in in itself. That's just like minimalism. Like we choose to live more simply in order to facilitate generosity. My kind of feeling from this is that Advent was a, a bit more like Lent, the way we view Lent um, uh, originally. Preparation for Yeah, preparation for celebration. Um, so, so with each of these, we talked about some of the attitudes associated with them. So for Advent, the attitude would be anticipation, longing, and hope. And then... One of the other things we talked about in class was like common hymns or contemporary songs that would be associated with each season as well, um, which especially if you're a worship leader or if you're involved in worship and choosing music, this is a really great thing to be aware of that um, you can choose appropriate song for where you are in the church year and it adds a richness and depth to the music and singing. However, I don't agree with people who are like, we don't need to be singing Christmas hymns. An advent. Ah. Because it's not actually Christmas yet. <laughs> I think that's looking for an unnecessary fight. And it's also not taking advantage of the fact that our culture makes Christmas such a big deal. And that is a mm. time to pull people into the church and not a time to like try to be like fighting to distinguish Christmas and mm. Advent. Personally, I think you can bring in some of the richness of Advent without having to push out the way that Christmas has exploded. Yeah, I don't think it's really beneficial to have that kind of a negative attitude about things. Um, and also, just there's already such an extensive library of great, memorable, theologically rich and powerful songs associated with the Christmas season. It'd be a shame to further limit the window that we have access to that. Well, maybe we could sing more after because the next season that we're talking about, number two on our list, is... Christmas tide. 
Ah, here we go. <laughs> so Christmas is a day on December 25th for wait, the wait, people that Wait, wait, before we get know. into that, I'm not sure if I have a good sense of what we should do. Yeah, might do or should do to recognize that. I mean, I heard that discipline and fasting and those things and oh, and the color purple. <laughs> but I don't think I have a handle on what we can do to really implement celebration. So I I would say, like, if there's anything in your home that you could give away to other people to simplify, that's a good thing to do. A simple and I mean, you could all, you can always fast. That's easy. If you want to do fasting days throughout uh, mm-hmm. leading up to Christmas. Um, and then one thing that I think is important is to bring in the component of Christ's second coming and not just focus on leading up to Christmas. And so I think it's important in our prayers, especially, and in our, well, in my teaching, that I'm incorporating that connection. You know, as we look forward to Christmas and celebrate your coming, we look forward to your return. You're going to come again to mm-hmm. rule and reign. Just those sorts of comments that are make, keeping it in front of us and others that this is a also an anticipatory time. Mm-hmm. Which I think the anticipation aspect of Advent is built into me because as a kid I was so longing for Christmas when I was a kid I was mostly for the gifts right um, but I think as an adult we can remember to continue that attitude with longing for like you're saying Christ's second coming and that leads us to Christmas time <laughs> did you want to say anything else Daniel or about Evan are you satisfied uh, yeah I guess what I'm still struggling with is just, um, and I guess this comes from the culture or whatever, but in my head, I'm, I'm still having trouble to separate it from Christmas. When I think of Advent, I still think of it as just the lead up to the Christmas season and yeah, having some focus on service and simplicity and, um, and avoiding just a consumerist mindset towards Christmas. That's all Mm -hmm. great, but still, right. Um, when I it's still in my head, it's just kind of like an an addition to the overall Christmas season. Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of is in a way because so much of what we do is preparation during that season, and so even like taking time to like decorate your home and stuff, that's like a preparatory action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, with Christmas, it's a day, December twenty fifth, and also a season. So it's a twelve day. 12 days of Christmas. Contrary to popular belief, the 12 days of Christmas do not end on Christmas, but they begin on Christmas. And it goes through January 5th. And Christmas means Christ Mass. Mass being the Catholic term for worship service. Right. right? And it is the great feast of the incarnation on the 25th. Which we talked about pretty thoroughly before, but we didn't talk about that, the meaning of the word. Right. Or we also didn't talk about the color. Not green red no ah uh, gold white it's white <laughs> two to two um uh, which that's why the church christmas trees are always like styrofoam white styrofoam ornaments with gold beads oh, there you go <laughs> which symbolizes christ as the light of the world common practices include feasting celebration acts of charity and gratitude and the attitude is joy, celebration, thanksgiving, and wonder. 
So here's a, a little piece of trivia for you. Do either of you know what event is celebrated on the 26th? Nope. I can guess, though. The hint that we received in classes to think about the uh, Good King Wenseless song. That's the part right there. So Good King Wenseless something something. And then on the... I never knew it either, but it's on the Feast of Stephen. Ah. Huh. The Feast of Stephen. Brightly shone the moon that night. That's all I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, so Feast of Stephen, 27th is the Feast of John. So that's just celebrating different uh, church like saints on different days? Yeah, I think there's significance with the very first after um, Christmas being the first martyr uh, being Stephen there. Oh, the other interesting one is January 1st. It's the holy name. So it's eight days after Christmas. And then the calendar starts being orchestrated around his life as we go through here. Um, so the next thing then after Christmas tide is... Epiphany? That's right. Yeah, it recognizes the visitation of the Magi, which is one of the importances of that is that it demonstrates Gentile involvement um, in the story. And what does epiphany mean? Revelation? Man Revelation was called. It's manifestation. Uh, uh, not so close. <laughs> <laughs> it's along the same lines. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll take the point if we're still keeping score on points. I think we're at three to two, right? I didn't get one for epiphany. No. no. Okay, so what are all the days of epiphany? Uh, we didn't talk about all of them. We just talked about... Well, apparently the Catholics have a feast day basically every day of the entire year. So... They're all very fat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one other interesting one is the 28th, though. It's the Feast of the Holy Innocents, which recognizes the babies that were killed by Herod. Oh. In attempt to kill Jesus. That's interesting. It's kind of a sad one. <laughs> Woo, <sorry. laughs> well the martyrdom of Stephen that's true Epiphany is Gen is it the 7th? January 6th oh okay which is when the Russians celebrate Christmas oh interesting which makes sense because that's when the gifts were actually given right and it uh, celebrates the manifestation of Jesus Christ as Lord of the whole world. So there's a global element. Mm -hmm. And it highlights Christ's life on the earth through the gospel accounts. Then the first Sunday of Epiphany is the baptism of Christ. Second Sunday is the miracle at Cana. So the first miracle. And then the last Sunday is the transfiguration. That's all part of Epiphany. Oh, so Epiphany is a whole month. It is a day and a season. So they they have seasons which always fill the space until the next season. There's no just empty space. Well, until the end, we'll get to that. That's right. Uh, the color? Uh, blue? Gold. It's gold. Three to three. <laughs> it just says for the manifestation of the light of the world. So there we go. Wait, white was for the light of the world. I know, this one's the manifestation of the light of the world. <laughs> That's why I just kind of glossed over that. Yeah, who's in charge of this? 
Yeah. So let's see. Practices, um, baptism, celebration, prayers of commitment and discipleship, and intercession for the world. Like I said, there's this global emphasis. And a common hymn would be Sing of God Made Manifest. And a contemporary song that would be appropriate would be Shine Jesus Shine. Contemporary. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wow. (laughs) You know, relatively contemporary. We're talking about 2,000 years. Yeah. In the whole history of the church, I guess. Uh, Joy Has Dawned is another example. Oh, Great Light of the World. Endless Light. Um, so that's probably one of the least recognized seasons, wouldn't you say? People don't really talk about Epiphany. No, we don't talk about it like at all. We talk about New Year. Yeah. But I think just having the reflection of the life of Christ in between birth and, and um, the passion is a, a neat emphasis. So other than gold, we don't have... I don't have much of a sense of how to celebrate. Like, what would be your seasonal observance? Uh, good question. Good question. Let me see. How to celebrate Epiphany. Hmm. It was baptism, wedding at Cana, and what was the third one? The transfiguration. Transfiguration. So it's all these things that are revealing who Jesus is. That's right. So in that case, well, the wedding at Cana is kind of obvious. Just drink lots of wine. <laughs> yeah, or, or drink lots of water and pray. Or you could get married. <laughs> there you go. Well, I guess this is why we don't know about this one. Well, and part of my interest in learning about all these was in looking for new ways that we could be celebrating throughout the year. Yes. Uh, but it seems like it's more just things to be aware of than to actually do a lot in your home. There's yeah. Not a lot, even for Advent. Epiphany could have candles... Like you could do the same thing for things we talked about, four different revelations of the incarnation. Oh, that'd be interesting. What if you did, okay, what is something like a candle that you could do so it's not just the same thing? Light. It is still light focused though, right? Like it's all still focused on Christ coming. In the whole, yeah, idea. Well, it's supposed to be focused on the revelation of who he is, right? Yeah, right. the revelation that Jesus That's was the son of God. Mm-hmm. So maybe some of this starts out more simply and then gets ornate over yeah. time. Yeah, that'd be cool. If you had like a stained glass window or something to get the light and it, it had some sort of um, something to make it monochrome to start with and it like added color throughout the weeks. That'd be cool. Of course, traditionally, it's all—it's mostly just guided the liturgy and practices of the worship services, right? And so, so, like the prayers and the songs and the scripture reading. Yeah, come. even even if it was as simple as, "Hey, the people who are opening the service mentioned something about it," or something, you could easily bring bring a theme in that way. Anyway, so that leads us to. Lent. Lent, indeed. Which begins on, a lot of people know know this now. People didn't used to know this. Oh, Ash Wednesday? That's right. Which, again, is one of those that I know Dad has said when he was a kid, like, nobody practiced Ash Wednesday. Hmm. And now it's it's pretty common for people to do Ash Wednesday services. Yeah. Interesting. We always have a lot of people come come to ours. Hmm. 
even when we started doing it, I didn't really understand what it is. That is a problem. And do you know when it falls, when Ash Wednesday falls, or when the beginning of Lent? 40 days before Easter. Yes, kind of. Kind of, because you don't count the Sundays, right? Oh, then what would that be? 45 days? Yeah, I think it's 46 with the Sundays. So you have, but you're right, it's it's 40 is the number that um, Christians were wanting to highlight because of the significance of 40 in the Bible. But since Lent is a time of fasting and preparation, they didn't count Sundays because Sundays are a day of feasting and celebration. And Lent is the Latin word for spring. So in class with Lent, we talked about three early emphases of it that I thought were pretty good. Um, The first is preparation. So it would have been like those preparing to join the church um, because Easter was originally the main baptism day when people uh, would join the church. And then the second is penitence. So those inside the church. Which we would just say like repentance these days. Right. Yeah. And then the last one uh, that I had not really heard is pursuance. And that is of those outside the church, including people that haven't been around for a while or people that have backslidden. That's good. Um, Is it's a time and and then evangelism, of course, but um, it's a time to reach out to people that may not have not been active in the church for a bit. Nice to kind of have a season where you're thinking of, all right, who are people that I know who used to be real involved in church or used to really um, be walking with the Lord and are kind of not that I could reach out to. That's, that's good to have a time that you're actually thinking about that. Yeah. And using the Easter invite uh, as a strategy to reach out to them. Hey, Easter's coming up and we're inviting as many people as we can. And I, thought of you and haven't seen you around as much lately easter would be a great time to get reconnected so we touched a little bit on one of augustine's sermons um about lent and so he talks about fasting food primarily um he talks about it being a time of prayer uh a time for almsgiving a time to abstain from both alcohol and sex He houses all that by saying that it's a call to examine our desires. So the color? Black. Red. No. Think of the little crosses we put out in our yard. The little crosses we put out start with purple. Is it purple again? It's purple again. (laughs) Another season that's purple. It's it's like Advent again. It's another preparation. Because really the, the calendar is two cycles. So there's an epiphany cycle and an Easter cycle. Yeah. Another thing I had never heard of before is there's a tradition of abstaining from the word hallelujah in public worship during Lent. Huh. Anglicans do this uh-huh. where they want. And then on. <laughs> Everybody stares at somebody. If they <laughs> exactly. And then on Easter, there's a big celebration of proclaiming hallelujah. Some common hymns when I survey. Contemporary song, Lead Me to the Cross, Hosanna. There you go. Oh, here's some responses, actually. This is, that's what you, you've been interested in, Daniel, what you can do. Yeah. So three responses for you. What repentances do we need to make both as individuals and as a church? 
How will we within the community of faith dedicate ourselves to fasting, prayer, disciplines, and almsgiving? And then do I know anyone who is backslidden? All right, moving right along to... Holy Week. Holy Week, indeed. Holy Week is the week leading up to Easter. So most of us are pretty familiar with Holy Week because we celebrate Palm Sunday. Mm -hmm. And at our church, and some churches celebrate Monday, Thursday and Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday. Those are ones most people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know the Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't either. But traditionally, the so you'd have Palm Sunday, and then you'd have a whole celebration, three-service celebration that leads up to Easter called the Triduum. But it includes Monday, Thursday, which do either of you know what Monday means? Shortened version of the Latin word... Mandatum. Like a pronouncement kind of thing? like Yeah, it means command. Yeah. That's pretty close. So uh, in that, you're celebrating the uh, command from John, a new command I give, love one another. Hmm. And so that's what the uh, that service is about. It's about the you do the Lord's Supper, you do the foot washing, and then you talk about the new command. So then Good Friday then, which uh, I think traditionally would be the time for the Tenebrae service, which is the one we're most familiar with from Harvest. And then Holy Saturday is a very long service that would go through the whole biblical narrative and lead up to sundown, um, which traditionally that would be then the start of the next day. Easter Sunday, which... People will popularly say that it comes from a deity. Or fertility or something like that. Um, But there's actually a lot of ambiguity around uh, the word. People don't really know. Um, It it likely just means east or like a springtime month. And then the deity was named after that. And then it evolved from there. But people don't know for sure. Some people, instead of Easter, call it Pascha which comes from Passover. Yeah. So it's the Christian uh, Passover. So that is the high point. And the main way we celebrate it is by hunting Easter eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Do either of you know uh, how we decide when Easter Sunday is? The next Sunday after Passover, right? I, I don't know about Passover, but so it falls on the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. Say that again? First? On the first Sunday following the first full moon after the equinox. Very uh, nature-y. Kind of seems like pagan or druidic. Is there a reason for that? Why is the full moon so significant? Um, Yeah, it's all in order to make sure it stays on a Sunday. But anyway, the season of Easter is... 50 days and the color because it's from Easter until Pentecost. That's right. And the color is going to be white. That's right. Yeah. Oh, because it's cyclical. New pure life in Christ and some practices, baptism, testimony, music, and singing attitude is of celebration, victory, and elation. I also like um, those little resurrection rolls are nice. Good thing to do. What is that? 
Uh, you don't know those like cinnamon roll type things? No, that sounds nice. I like cinnamon rolls a lot. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> oh, you know, what? I thought we did this before. You get cinnamon rolls, but you like uh, cut out the middle or something. You make um like cinnamon roll type pastry things, but you the dough is wrapped around a marshmallow or a buttered marshmallow or something like that, so that when you cook it, the marshmallow melts away. Um, and it leaves an empty space. So that represents the empty tomb. Cool. You could say for Easter that it's 40 plus 10 the season because after 40 days is a special day. Do you know what it is? 40 days after Easter? Oh, wow. 40 days after Easter. Uh, uh, ascendant. That's the day he ascended. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The ascension. Four to four, I believe. Uh, well, that'd be called Ascension Day. Yeah, yeah. So I think the Ascension would be a, is a good one to recognize in our churches. Um, it's a reminder that the story doesn't end with the resurrection. So you focus on Jesus as the great High Priest, and also as promised to come again. And then, okay, so quick recap then. So we're, we've hit Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter. And now, 50 days after Easter is... Pentecost. Which the word Pentecost Go. means... Oh. Um, <laughs> Pentecost means 50. <laughs> yep, that's right. And the color is... Gold. No. Red for the fire. That's right. <laughs> wow. Well, red for the fire and also the blood of Christ and the martyrs. Of Christ? The blood of Christ was earlier. Yeah. That's... No, just the martyrs. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so quick practices for Pentecost then is prayer, waiting, praise, and intercession. And a common hymn would be come down. Or send the fire. Contemporary song would be Holy Spirit. All right. And then the final season then. Wait, so how long does Pentecost go though? It's just a one day season. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, yeah. it's a one day season. What? Yeah. Easter at 50. Easter's the, the longest. That's so unbalanced. Some of those Easter days should go to Pentecost days. Might I suggest you take from the upcoming season we're about to get into because the final season that goes from Pentecost to Advent is called Ordinary Time. Green! <laughs> there we go, Joel, five to four. <laughs> Ordinary Time to me is a bad name because to me it sounds like boring or like, yeah, it's just ordinary. Um, but what it's supposed to be talking about is like the rightly ordered ordinary life of the church. Um, so it's a season of discipline and ministry and missions and prayer and all the things that the church is called to to be a healthy, growing church. And the green symbolizes growth. So perhaps in some of our, we've talked about like decor, you could maybe do some nice um, plant imagery. Oh, like four-leaf clover? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't talk about that one. Yeah. So, that's good. Yeah. so that leads us back to Advent and that gives you the whole calendar year. That's right. All the way back to Advent as the end. It seems like in instead of just ordinary time, they could have called it something. Sometimes it, you hear it referred to as kingdom tide, which I like a little bit better. 
Okay, I thought there I thought there were more than one ordinary times though, is there not? Sometimes there is an ordinary time between Epiphany and Lent, maybe. That's right. Yeah, that's how I had learned it. Well, that's only when there's highly unusual ordinary time. <laughs> All right, so we have to cut it for this recording because um, Daniel has to go to church. But uh, we want to come back to the church calendar and talk a little bit more about um, what do we need to actually like bring into our churches and our worship. Um, and then what I would like us to talk about also is the secular calendar and the balance of church calendar, secular calendar, because we tend as a church mm-hmm. in America to do a lot surrounding the secular calendar. And I'd like us to talk about, is that healthy and how do we do that? And, uh, part two. Well, this is a few weeks after our last recording on on the Christian calendar. Uh, we ran out of time as we spent a long time kind of going through all the dates and everything, um, but wanted to kind of wrap up that discussion now. Mm-hmm. So last time we went through just some of the symbolism and meaning behind different church calendar days and how the traditional or the higher church, I guess, celebrates the uh, Christian calendar. Mm-hmm. Daniel, you made a comment about it being way different than what you had kind of expected. What kind of what you were you yeah, thinking? Yeah, I think I was, I was envisioning it very much in the context of like Western holidays, like American holiday culture. So I guess in my mind, I was like, we all know about Christmas and the whole kind of Advent. We sort of know about Easter, but actually there's lots of these kind of things and it's which i mean if i if you just say that if you just go that far and you say it on paper that is i guess true but for the most part these were not we didn't get a lot of information about it being like celebrated in that same way that what we in modern western society would consider a holiday Mm-hmm. Like like not not a really festive mm-hmm. times, especially when some of them are mostly like fasting and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's more of like a organization of your year. Yeah, more to than direct like, your thoughts. Right. So last time we covered Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Holy Week, Pentecost, Pentecost, and Ordinary Time. But I remember two episodes ago, or last episode, you talked about All Saints Day, November 1st, Mm -hmm. um, which I think you had a neat idea there with implementing that. Yeah, so Um, one thing I've thought of for a while, actually, from my study of the Christian calendar, is taking All Saints Sunday, which is the Sunday before Halloween, and doing a focus on a Christian uh, like hero or a great Christian character from history. So you could spend that sermon or you could, as Daniel had mentioned, maybe uh, you could do a series if you wanted to three week series around all saints day where each week you look at a specific Christian leader. Uh, you could do a week on John Wesley or a week on Martin Luther or George Mueller or a early Christian father like origin and just look at their life or their teachings, their contribution to the faith, and use that as the orienting factor for your sermon. That way you're mm. 
uh, also learning history and appreciating the saints that have gone before us as a part of celebrating All Saints Day. So I think that'd be a really cool practice. Yeah, I like that. It gives an interesting emphasis on like the entire body of Christ, including those that have come before us. Then another thing I think would be cool, I, I think Pentecost needs to be brought in. Mm. Um, we don't do enough with Pentecost in the church today usually, and that's such a significant event in, in Christian history mm. that I think I do think we need to do something in our churches to recognize Pentecost. Mm. So whether that is some sort of decoration or even at the very least having like a response in your message for infilling of the Holy Spirit. That'd be a simple way to close out your message, whatever you preached on, even if it wasn't on the Holy Spirit, and just recognize it's Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit initially fell. And so we always spend time praying for people to be filled with the Spirit, whether you have been in the past or not. The Holy Spirit has been given to all believers, and we all need to be walking in the fullness of the Spirit. So we have a prayer time at the end of this service for anybody who wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. I know another one for me is just the importance for of Advent in focusing on the second coming rather than just leading up toward mm-hmm. Christmas and focusing on the birth, um, I think is one that we can certainly apply. Okay, so before we get into like the secular calendar, one other thing that's happened in the Christian community, at least here in the South America, I mean, the South of North America, <laughs> um, <laughs> is that a lot of churches, or there's a there's a good number of churches or people who are familiar with starting the year off with 21 days of prayer and fasting. There's like a lot of churches that kind of do that and have gotten on board with starting the year off with prayer and fasting. And mm-hmm. basically what... Why the, 21? I don't know, three weeks. Uh, it's just... Our church does 40 days, so... 40 days yeah. of prayer and fasting. That makes more sense, wilderness. So we we do a thirty day thing at the beginning of the year usually. So it's like the first month of the year. Yeah. But mm-hmm. kind of what a lot of these churches are doing is they're moving Lent to the beginning of the year, hmm. right? Ah, because it's prayer and fasting. Yeah, because it's like a, a season of mm. prayer and fasting, seeking God, which is what Lent has been traditionally. Yeah. That's what a lot of people have moved to the start of the year to January, and. I don't really have a problem with that. I think it's fine because it's in a way it's what we're about to get into, which is kind of blending the Christian calendar and a secular calendar because it's beginning of the secular year. January is a new year. And so we're capitalizing on the fact that people begin a new year with a new focus and a new drive. And so it makes sense to try to seek God for a new year and really like see what kind of goals God has for you in the year. And so it's in a way, it's like adjusting the Christian calendar to the secular calendar. In terms of adjusting to the secular calendar, is that just because we have the concept of New Year's resolutions? And so that's why I'm putting it there or because in, in the Christian calendar, New Year's Day or you know January 1st is not really the start of the year or why? How is that? A secularization? Maybe that has to do a little bit with what Paul talks about with like the cyclical nature of the Christian calendar where it's less mm-hmm. uh, start-end. Mm-hmm. That kind of brings us to this concept of this the secular year and the Christian year and how those things can work together, or can they work together? A lot of churches recognize the 
secular year and secular holidays to a higher degree than we do Christian holidays throughout the year and the Christian year. So, for example, we just had Mother's Day last Sunday. A lot of churches do something to recognize Mother's Day. That's a secular holiday and not part of the Christian calendar, and yet it's been really adopted into the Christian church. And so when I was in a worship class, the one that Paul's in, my my uh, professor did two like circles to represent the years. So the circle from January to January, and we went through the Christian calendar, kind of like we would had done last time we recorded. And on the other circle, we went through January to January, kind of marking out the secular holidays. And she was really highlighting how much more emphasis the church gives to these secular holidays and how much more a part of our lives that they are. And she was really challenging us to implement the Christian holidays as Christian leaders. Um, but, you know, that goes through starting, you got, you got New Year's, you've got MLK, Valentine's Day, then Easter, I guess, is next, Mother's Day, Memorial Day, Fourth of July. You forgot Father's Day. Oh, yeah. Father's Day. Yeah. yeah. Father's <laughs> Day. Fourth of July. <laughs> Let me know if I miss any others. I'm just kind of going through um, what's after Fourth of July. So actually, now that you mention it, I guess uh, my church experience has been that the secular calendar is more relevant. Yeah. Pretty much all like in all facets. Right. Hmm. So... Is that okay? That is that the route we should go, where we are highlighting the cultural holidays, or is it important for us to kind of move away from that? I even saw a post today where it was saying something about hi- praising church leaders that basically this past week said, "Happy Mother's Day." Now let's turn to whatever their text was for the day, and I was like, "All it was," kind of like praising a diminishment of. Mother's Day, since it's a secular, like it's the secular calendar, not the Christian calendar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel a little conflicted about that. Yeah. I generally um, am, am, am sympathetic to anti-conformist sentiments, but what's wrong with Mother's Day? I don't know. I mean, I guess if the whole sermon was about like the mother, blah, 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 like that. Yeah, okay, that'd be too far, but... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Which, yeah, I mean, yeah. A, a prime example of that would be like a 4th of July sermon about America or something. Well, yeah, I mean, I think motherhood, I think motherhood is more universal than... than right, that's what I'm saying, the uh, example of something going too far. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah. But then I guess everybody might have their own line of what they think is too much. Yeah. It gets back to, like, how can we pull out Christian values out of our culture and like emphasize like our um, what we believe to be like God ordained realities and truths from some of our cultural things kind of the way that like that the movie series seeks to pull kingdom and eternal truths out of just secular content yeah Um, so with Mother's Day we as Christians can really affirm a lot of the value and importance of the family, mm-hmm. importance of of moms, importance of raising children as part of God's design and marriage as part of God's original design. And even like the nurturing. But then when you get into something like 4th of July, it's like a little bit more difficult to see how you can do that well and 
is this actually pointing people to the kingdom and to God and not just to our culture and getting people more focused on the um, temporary things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think where I have fallen as I've thought through that this is to try to like to do both. That's kind of where I mm. am is like when possible, we want to take advantage of what your culture is doing. If you can use that momentum for the gospel and for worship, um, like Christmas is a gigantic holiday. And so that's not, not something we should push back against and say, Oh, the culture is taking Christianity. It's something we should lean into and say, hey, our culture is really embracing this holiday that is Christian and there's Christian. Like we need to use that momentum to point people to Jesus. And I think looking at ways to do that in other aspects. So like in Mother's Day, just like you mentioned, Paul, how do we see the character of God in motherhood, Mm -hmm. affirming mothers, praying over mothers? Mm -hmm. Um, And especially like even more in our culture that gender is so confused, like affirming Mm -hmm. the female role in the household as mother is I think really important also. So it's like, you're already taking advantage of momentum in your culture to point people to, to the cross. Now you would do have trouble, which happens sometimes when like Pentecost falls on mother's day, then it's like, I've heard a lot of people saying, you know, the Holy spirit loses to mothers uh, in that situation, <laughs> <laughs> which I would, I would again want to do both. If you can try to do both. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many churches really do that much for mothers? I guess like the kids department would do a lot of, you know, make a thing for your mom or whatever. But I think for the most part, it's just like mom stand up and let's clap or like, let's say a prayer for the moms. Or, I mean, I think it's gotta be a pretty extreme case where they're like today we're going to read all stuff that's related to mothers and we're going to preach about mothers and all our songs are about mothers or anything like I've definitely heard of churches yeah, right. that each mother, each mother's day, they do a sermon that's either focused on like, uh, you know, Sarah or Mary or somebody, you know, one of the mothers from the Bible to highlight and yeah. stuff like that. I think that was is... more Riley's experience growing up. Um, I might get her thoughts on this actually. Hey, Rick. Can and we're just picking on Mother's Day right now because we're not picking share on Mother's your Day. Thought we're on just something? highlighting Mother's Day right now because it was yesterday. She said, I have to leave in a minute, but she has a minute. I'm not sure I appreciate that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> so your experience growing up in church uh, was, how did you guys honor or recognize Mother's Day in the church? Was it a like central focus of the entire day or was it kind of a smaller component? Well, it was Willow Creek, so I feel like that everything they did was like over the top. Like I felt like there was like extra flowers. <laughs> I felt like there was usually a woman speaking, like some special guest. I feel like that's like vaguely in my memory. Was the message like geared towards Mother's or Mother's Day or something like that usually? Or I would know? say yes. How about Father's Day? Um, Father's Day, they did like a giant barbecue cars show like in the parking lot like after <laughs> wow and they might have done something so stereotypical with, with mother's day but i don't remember but i would were say, the worship songs about mothers i don't think so i think they okay, were okay good <laughs> <Are> there... <laughs> <laughs> okay i felt yeah i would think if you're pulling from the bible there's a lot more father material than mother material mm-hmm. <laughs> okay well thanks for sharing yeah you're welcome thank you bye uh, I think one important distinction, though, is maybe just the emphasis on how you frame these different things. So when you're 
talking about the celebration of the Christian calendar, I really feel like it's important to emphasize that we're joining together with the entire universal church around the world, you know, and celebrating this event in Christian history. Um, whereas the other one is much more of just a cultural thing that we're trying to point people to Christ and use as an icon. Hmm. Some churches and some people have the idea that the church just really needs to be like a set apart place where you're almost like coming out of the world and into heaven in a way. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you have the opposite approach that is, let's be like very relevant towards people's everyday lives. Um, And certainly people there's certainly like a longstanding complaint in churches that like, it just seems like it doesn't apply to my everyday life at all that go more that other route. Yeah. And I would just throw in, I think that where we are, so in the church in America, that's my context in the church everywhere, we tend to like swing on pendulums a little bit on how we approach certain issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that we are on a swing back toward that uh, less relevant liturgy liturgical. Yes. Um, I think really uh, our young years, the swing was towards really application and making sure that the gospel Mm. and church service applies to your everyday life and you can live it out. I think we're kind of swinging back the other direction where people are focusing on like the knowledge side of like knowing scripture, the tradition of liturgy, and normally with these pendulums, somewhere in the middle is healthy, the most healthy place to be. But we tend to kind of swing back and forth. So mm-hmm. I just this is just a little bonus thought. I think we need to be careful that we're not moving away from personal application and transformation of the heart in our worship in exchange for knowledge of the Bible and uh, connection with Christian liturgy and tradition. Mm-hmm. So going through, like I guess, different secular cal- calendar um like I said, I, I like the idea of trying to utilize those. Like praying for people, take advantage of praying for people. So Mother's Day and Father's Day, you can pray for the mothers and the fathers. Uh, I think, I don't remember if we included it in the actual episode, but one time we had mentioned uh, Labor Day. Daniel was like, made some joke about Labor Day. Uh, I think Labor Day is a good time to pray over retired people. Like especially hmm. if you've had people who are retiring that year. And you could pray over them in a new season of life. They're stepping out of their job that they've had for however long. Yeah. They don't really get to enjoy that holiday because they're already off. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Explain. Stepping into a new, like recently retired people? <laughs> you can you can pray over all retired people, but I think that our our culture focuses so much on retirement and now you're done working you can just do whatever you want and it's such a battle to fight against the selfishness of just living my life for my own comfort and experiences and having this mentality okay i don't i have so much more time now because i don't work and i can pour a lot more into the kingdom and so just having a sunday where we have people who are retired stand and pray over them that god would anoint them for the ministry he's calling to in this phase of life that he would set aside this season, that it wouldn't just be for meaningless things that are going to fade away, but it would be eternal, eternally valuable. Some of those things, because I, I think that that's a need that we have. So taking advantage mm-hmm. of, of Labor Day in that way, um, 
I think is strategic. Mm-hmm. We usually have a Sunday where we pray over our high school graduates. I think that's kind of normal. And so we do that during, like we were doing that in a couple of weeks or actually it's next Sunday. We, and we talked some about uh, Halloween. Well, we've had whole episodes on Halloween and mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And of course, Thanksgiving, we talked a lot about how good it is because it's this Christian principle of being thankful. Yeah. And yet it's a totally cultural holiday. Right. But there's certainly value. Fourth of July, you mentioned Paul being a little bit difficult. Right. And I do think you have to be careful, but like we've often talked for like Fourth of July and Juneteenth, which is like new newer holiday in June. For both of those, really talking about freedom and the Mm. Christian notion of freedom from sin that we should celebrate and that we want people to be free in every sense of their life, but it points to a deeper freedom that Christ offers. So Mm -hmm. those sorts of things where you can, again, what Daniel was saying, utilize the kind of shallower cultural realization to point to the deeper truth. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it'd be really cool for a ch- any church that hasn't spent much time thinking and teaching on the Christian calendar to just take at least a year where they st- go ahead and structure like their whole spring sermons specifically around these these holidays. I think that'd be really awesome. One of the negatives that I've heard from people that grow up in more of these high churches is that every year it's the same thing. And so it just feels very repetitive and and old and kind of tiresome. Right. But for any church, again, especially for one that hasn't traditionally done this, I think it would be really cool for them to do like a year where the beginning of this year, we're going to be walking through the Christian calendar and having messages specifically on these events in the life of Christ so just a yeah, thought, I think that's again, a great idea too. You could do it. You could do it for one year, and it doesn't have to be something you do every single year. I think that is a cool idea. But I do think going back to what I said about class, that it's almost most helpful and most important if I was in a worship leader position at a church, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. then you have this just really cool framework to structure your services and to pick um, the song choices. Yep. Any other things, you know, you want to implement, whether it's like dance or video or art, however you're mm-hmm. structuring a service as a worship leader, you can pull mm-hmm. from this rich tradition of the Christian calendar. So this past yeah. week in class, we had an assignment where we had to plan a service and he gave us like, this is the context of your church. This is like the date in the year. So like plan out what you would do if you were like creating the order of service. Mm-hmm. The The focus of the sermon series in our context was like, who is God? And so we planned our fake service with like the opening three songs, one song focused on each member of the Trinity. So it started with <laughs> the song, Holy Spirit. Then it was, um, this is amazing grace. It's all about the, act of Christ. And then it was your good, good father. And then we did two closing songs, the, uh, new doxology, which is all about the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, praise the father, praise the son, praise the spirit three and one. Uh-huh. Um, so it was neat to think about like, 
how do you bring these kind of rich theological truths into a service in a way that can mm-hmm. teach in maybe even a more subtle way, but having that consideration in the background, at least instead of just here's the top, you know, contemporary Christian songs right now on the radio. And so we'll throw mm-hmm. those in. Mm-hmm. I like the brainstorming part. Yeah, I do too. I think it's fun. But it does kind of reveal how much uh, we rely on the secular cultural trappings to build up the season around these things. Because mm. now that I think about it, like I've always been saying, why is Easter not have as much like to do about it as Christmas? And I guess a lot of that is because of the secular side of things. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we start at church, we start talking about Easter really far out and it's mostly as far as inviting people. And we start mm-hmm. giving, passing out Easter cards and encouraging people to invite others. And so that makes it a multi-week focus, which I think is really healthy. Yeah. So yeah. Good. Good. Well, by the time this releases, I will probably have graduated from the seminary. Hey. Oh, yeah. congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> So I'm going to get to work now on my final paper so I can graduate. Um, That'll be the end of our podcast. Right. I'd love to at least do some kind of like recap episode. Um, I don't know. Some some kind of conclusion. Um, Are you thinking we'll stop recording? Yeah. That's kind of what I've been thinking is that we'd stop with the seminary graduation. Oh. So that means we'll have one more episode after this. I think so. What are we on right now? Twenty. It'd be nice if we could get to twenty-five. That's a nice number. What episode is this? Is this twenty-four or twenty-three? No, I don't know. Let me look. Okay, great. This one will be twenty-four. Oh, so right. well, we can have a finale. Okay. Is there anything else we want to say before we close out? Happy holidays, everybody. That's right. Whatever holiday uh, you're listening to this nearby, there's one nearby, and so. Celebrate it in such a way that honors the Lord and points people to Jesus. Yeah, probably be Pentecost, likely. It might be a little bit after that because I go to Ecuador, but yes, Pentecost. May 28th. May 28th is Pentecost, so remember, which is also my anniversary. Which actually, I think that will have already happened by the time I actually get to editing this, so that's not helpful. But then as you go into ordinary time, remember to represent new creation here on Earth, be a model of what is to come in your everyday activities. All right. Yes. All right. I'm stopping. <laughs> okay. I I had thought we would just keep on going. But well, I suppose, you know, there's always a chance we'll just fire it back up again. <laughs> so this is the end of what, season one? Season two? <laughs> season one, yeah, seminary season. <laughs>